Rebecca Valentine, who is a uh, writer uh, working for IGN, um, she tweeted on January 25th, Oh no, oh help, a space for the unbound has absolutely wrecked me. I was not expecting to be emotionally demolished so completely. Truer words. In that sentence, I read that and I said... I need to play this game. Sign me up. And I messaged Spencer and I was like, Spencer, would you like to play this game with me? When's the last time you were emotionally demolished? <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player. Where what you play is just as important as how you play it and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronoun she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's start, as we always do, with our Patreon shout-outs. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of January. Uh, So that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimatai, Adiyanka, and See The Mess. Thank you all for your continued support. We love you. Our show. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Remember, folks, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series co-op mode. Our February episode was about The Last of Us TV show. What else? Uh, We (laughs) talked about the first three episodes and all our thoughts and feelings about them. Um, Spoiler alert, we're really liking the show. Uh, So if you want to hear us talk more about HBO's The Last of Us, uh, yeah, maybe maybe come over to Patreon and and kick us $2 and you can get that episode as well as access to multiple years worth of content now, (laughs) somehow. (laughs) Uh, If you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or even writing into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. All right, Spencer, it's time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. Let's talk about our feelings. How are you doing today, Spencer? I'm well, Jamie. I'm <laughs> avoiding all of the Hogwarts legacy discussions that I can, and I'm <sighs> considering bleaching my eyebrows. So that's how my <laughs> February is going. <laughs> Wait, uh, tell me more about the eyebrow bleaching. So it's like all of a sudden, everywhere I look, everyone is like bleaching their eyebrows. I feel like there's something going on right now where because the not to just suddenly go into like cultural analysis mode but like okay yes because the line between reality and fantasy is like so so thin right now like i think namely i'm talking about the rise of ai and how Mm. like you really don't know what's real and what's manufactured and it's not so easy to tell anymore i feel like aesthetics have veered into the fantastical like i don't know if you've seen <laughs> these new boots that have come out oh the um, like astro boy the boots, astro boy boots like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people are like what the hell it, it looks like a freaking cartoon or a video game and it's like yeah because that's the only real thing right now. Like, like that kind of nostalgia, that kind of um, larger than life, like animated, like we can bring that into the reality now because everything else is in unreality. Like everything, mm. there's no telling what's uh, a deep fake and, and what's 
what's real. So like, why not put on some fucking Astro Boy boots? Um, and so I guess another <laughs> manifestation of that is like increasingly um, wacky and um, surrealist, like just fashion and style um, and hmm. almost like looking kind of otherworldly is like, is like becoming a thing. And so long story short, everyone's bleaching their eyebrows and I'm kind of into it. I kind of want to know what it'll look like. Um, <laughs> but it's also like, I have to be on zoom every day in meetings. So if it looks bad, then <laughs> I'll, I guess if it looks bad, I'll just slap a filter on because we have oh. that now too. Like what the fuck is real? Good Lord. Yeah. Is there not a filter for bleaching your eyebrows? You could oh just try God. that. Yeah, so I'll test it out. Test it out first. On the filters. Send yeah. you some pics. You can let me okay. know. <laughs> I don't think you want my opinion. I'm still in like dressing like a 40-year-old dad on vacation <laughs> mode. <laughs> that's kind of my aesthetic. Hey, that's, that's in too. It's all in. Oh my God. Uh, How are you? Uh, I'm not doing too bad. I'm also uh, avoiding Hogwarts Legacy discourse and all the. Oh man, the discourse is is rough right now. Rough. I don't know. <laughs> Stay away. Stay far away. We can't have nice things. <sighs> we can, no, no, we can't. Um, so yeah, so I combated that by taking a couple extra vacation days this week oh, and nice. uh, just playing some video games, hanging out with the dogs. Uh, and my partner and I went and saw the new Ant-Man and the Wasp movie Hell last yeah. night. And I'll reserve my judgment on it because you haven't seen it yet. I don't want to spoiler it. Spoiler? I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was fun to just have a night out at the movies and some time off of work and just be trying to chill and try to remember that Twitter isn't real life it's burning um, down anyway god not fast enough <laughs> no not fast right, enough we'll take all of our pain away <laughs> it definitely helps i will say this about <laughs> ant-man the uh, Ant ant-man and the wasp quantum mania i think is the full official title um very funny very funny i laughed a lot um imperfect film overall but mm. I really but we love was, to laugh. I, I you love to laugh, you know. And Paul Rudd brought the funnies, um, so that's that's really all. That's all I have going on. I'm excited to talk about video games with you today, though, mm -hmm. because we've got a special one to talk about today. No more one, laughs to be had. <laughs> no, no more laughs to be had. Uh, we're talking about a very emotional game uh, today that uh, I I really really fucking enjoyed and is I. I think by the end of the year, we'll continue to be very high on my list of favorite games of the year, if not favorite games of all time. And that game that we're talking about today is called A Space for the Unbound, uh, developed by Mojikin Studio, uh, came out January 19th, 2023 uh, on Switch, PlayStation, PC and Xbox. Um, from the Steam page, the description is that A Space for the Unbound is a slice of life adventure game set in the late 90s rural Indonesia that tells a story about overcoming anxiety, depression, and the relationship between a boy and a girl with supernatural powers. Um, pretty intriguing description. Yeah. But what really got me with this game and what, what I forwarded to you to convince you to play the game yeah. is a, actually a tweet uh, from Rebecca Valentine, who is a, a writer uh, working for IGN. Um, she tweeted on January 25th, Oh no. Oh help. A space for the unbound has absolutely wrecked me. I've been bawling nonstop for half an hour. An hour? 
help. And then followed that up with a tweet that said, absolutely beautiful. Dang. Was not expecting to be emotionally demolished so completely. And that sentence, was not expecting to be emotionally demolished so completely. I read that and I said, I need to play this game. Sign me up. And then I messaged Spencer and I was like, Spencer, would you like to play this game with me? When's the last time you were emotionally demolished? (laughs) Only (laughs) constantly all the time. Yeah. But by a video game, that would be special. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that is what drew us initially. That's what drew me initially to this wonderful game. And I know I shared that tweet with you. Would you say it was more the tweet or the trailer that caught your eye? I was going to say, like, the tweet set the stage. And then uh-huh. I saw the trailer and that Ghibli-esque landscape started rolling. And that evocative synthesizer music started playing. And I was like... Oh, no. (laughs) I downloaded it immediately. Yeah, you had me at pixel art and emotional devastation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, So A Space for the Unbound uh, is a game that tells the story, you know, as we said, tells the story between a boy and a girl. Uh, You play as the the young boy, Atma, who is like 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Both him and uh, his girlfriend, Raya, are about to graduate high school. They're nearing the end of their senior year. And it it starts in a very like mundane place. Um, well, actually, let's rewind for a second because technically the game starts with a prologue mm-hmm. dream sequence in which Atma is uh, friends with a young girl named Nirmala, um, and uh, it's indicated very quickly that Nirmala has uh, trouble at home. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty sounds like a pretty domineering father who doesn't support her. But she likes to come hang out with Atma because they write stories together and draw comics together. And so the game actually starts with the scene between Atma and Nirmala having this conversation about their comics. And Nirmala gives Atma a red book that uh, he can use to space dive, (laughs) which is his superpower. And what space diving means is that he can use the book to enter the minds of people in the town and convince them to do the things that he needs them to do. Uh, This is played off pretty innocently in that, in that first uh, opening dream sequence, he uh, needs to get a ladder to be able to get into Nirmala. He's going to sneak into Nirmala's house to get some supplies from her room. Uh, And she doesn't want her dad to know that they're getting the supplies. So he's going to sneak in. So he needs to get a ladder, um, but he needs to get the ladder from a guard, um, a military guard who's sitting at a post, and the guard won't just give him the ladder. So he uses the space dive book to go into the guard's head and play some soothing music for the guard to put the guard to sleep and uh, get the ladder. And what's very quickly shown in this scene is that uh, Atma is moving in between reality and the uh, like interior mental world that he's space diving Mm -hmm. into with the book and he's doing that he's like moving objects between those two places he can bring a boom box from the real real world into the mind of the guard to play the music so it's immediately setting up this like very surreal like aspect to the world uh that's grounded in atma's superpower superpowers yeah i think that space diving thing is interesting because it's definitely like giving inception where like the world of the mind that that atma jumps into um it can be very um like uh, otherworldly like in the same way in a dream objects might move or atmosphere or 
um, environments might appear being like objects being bigger or things floating or physics not working the way you'd expect. Like it has all of that. Um, and it's sort of centered on this idea that he's able to see their anxieties or their fears um, and help release them from it. But it also makes you wonder like, is he helping or is he just influencing a version that works best for himself? So it just intru- immediately introduces this really interesting tension that sort of breaks the the initial setup of, oh, this is a charming coming-of-age story. <laughs> exactly. So this whole scene with uh, with their mala that the game opens with all kind of ends in sort of like a tragic and dramatic way. And then Atma wakes up in a classroom with Raya, his girlfriend. Uh, Nirmala is gone. Everything from the opening is gone. The only thing that remains is that he still has the red space diving book. Um, And then you continue to play with Atma as him and Raya decide to ditch school for the day and run about the neighborhood and try to go see a movie. Um, (laughs) The game then goes into this first chapter where you're playing through a lot of like really mundane and, and maybe even a little bit like meandering up, like story sequences Mm -hmm. uh you're like doing little favors for other people in the town you're getting you're petting cats you're (laughs) (laughs) interacting with school bullies uh you're building a little shelter for a stray cat that you and raya find and you're going to the movie theater to watch a movie um it's all very quaint and kind of feels like this is a very wholesome game uh very innocent it's all played off very innocently as you're doing these little tasks in the neighborhood, Atma's continuing to use the space dive book to uh, influence people to help them, to give them the supplies that they need to build the shelter for the cat, things like that. Um, and also what's revealed during this section is that Raya has superpowers, some sort of matter manipulation power. Uh, she's able to add money to uh, Atma's <laughs> pocket and she's able to change the price of the movie tickets when he still doesn't have enough to cover the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, little things like that, but it's all very cute. Uh, until the chapter ends and things start to, the impact of their superpowers begin to reveal themselves and characters start behaving. Other people in the town start behaving differently and things start to get a little darker. Uh, and the game really starts to very steadily and uh, subtly mm-hmm. begins to do things in the background that steadily become in the foreground that are, unsettling yeah, (laughs) and more and more unsettling things begin to happen. And the surrealness of the setting increases periodically throughout the game and kind of the whole time in the background, there is a crack forming in the sky above the town, uh, giving it these kind of apocalyptic vibes Mm -hmm. that build and build throughout the game. And we don't want to go into spoilers, at least not yet. Uh, So we'll kind of leave it there. That is the premise of the game. This, these two young folks with superpowers trying to enjoy the final days of their senior year of school and how the world starts to fall apart around them as they live through that time. Yeah. Growing up kind of does feel like the world is ending sometimes. (laughs) Certainly graduating high school can feel that way, right? (laughs) Such a huge transition point. Um, So all of this is set in a really 
beautifully and well-designed world. Um, the developer Mojikin is an Indonesian studio. And as we said in the description of the game, that the town that the game takes place in is a small rural uh, town in Indonesia in the 90s. And it's very, very... Uh, specifically realized like it feels like a very specific time and place there's a lot of great details that they put in the town to make it feel that way and it's been clear from conversations with the developers that that this was a super intentional move that they made that they wanted the the town to feel very specific to a point and, and place in in their own lives and there's a lot of different inspirations that they drew on in kind of the building of this world um, I pulled a quote from Eurogamer, uh, Chris Tapsell, in his review of the game, wrote that to many players, the familiar waypoints of adolescence, first dates, school reports, Game Boys, parents will anchor you in a place so specific that it likely feels refreshingly unfamiliar. For Indonesian players specifically, there seem to be references aplenty to traditional music, comfort food, historic festivals. While it's more explicitly paranormal elements, of which there are plenty, do the work in unbinding. This is really the heart of it in a space for the unbound. Familiarity and unreality mixing together, throwing you off, bamboozling you into dropping guard. The way developer Mojikin has managed that across cultures is quite something. Making something so specific to one place and time feel so universal with such panache. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, like as I was hinting as we were talking about the initial trailer and description of the game, like, I think anyone who's enjoyed any like coming of age movies, anyone who's enjoyed um, like Ghibli Studios, Miyazaki's films, um, that kind of like picturesque, idyllic uh, atmosphere, the gentle music playing, the the innocence of adolescence um like it all sets a very familiar scene that is like increasingly thrown off um and almost veers into the kind of psychological horror that you'd expect from like doki doki literature club Mm, Um, mm -hmm. but it never quite goes straight into the kind of um ultra violent or or like uh what's the word, like outright horror that you think it is, it, it still has that restraint that keeps it um, still retaining that that core of like tenderness. And I think it just works really, really well. Yeah. I will say to, to the points you're making about the setting, um, I had found some quotes from the director, Dimas Novan, um, who talked a lot about wanting to base every scene every pixel that's drawn in his own reality growing up in a small town um, in Indonesia. Um, He even talked about how to make the game accurate as possible. um, He and the other developers would actually walk around their own neighborhoods, um, collecting resources, visual aids, um, because they wanted it to feel as realistic as possible. Um, To be specific, um, there's an audio interview with the game's director um, via YouTube with Indie Obscura. Um, and he writes about how, um, or he doesn't write, he speaks about how um, it's based on this concept of Saichi June um, or an anime pilgrimage where um, in a lot of anime, um, the settings may be based on real places. And so fans of of shows or movies will actually go to the actual place being referenced and try to compare it side by side with an anime that they're fans of. Um, and he thought, you know, what better way of preserving um, what it felt like 
what it was like to live here, to be in this time in, you know, an ever-changing world. Like as we grow older, all we have is our memories. What better way to kind of preserve um, as much as we can than trying to make it as real as we can um, and really kind of capture uh, this experience in a game. Um, He says, if we can draw our environment, our surroundings, our hometown in different visuals, especially for pixel art, maybe we can appreciate the place we live in more and add some new value to them. Um, To that end, I think what adds um, even more dimension to these these very real, very personal settings um, is that there are very strong um, aesthetic uh, influences that the director has shared. Um, namely, um, he was inspired by the movies Inception um, and The Truman Show, um, as well as films by Makoto Shinkai, who folks may be familiar with. Um, he did Your Name and Weathering With You, um, hmm. two very popular um, anime films um, that also center on um, a boy and a girl who are coming of age. And there's fantastical supernatural elements uh, and this, you know, otherworldly plot that threatens to tear them apart. Um, I think anyone who's fans of those films will have something to enjoy in this game. Um, uh, Makoto Shinkai is, uh, has often, against his will, um, been drawn comparison to being the next, quote, the next Miyazaki. Um, mm. He says there's no comparison to be drawn there, <laughs> um, which is valid. Like, oh, what? Because we're two anime directors <laughs> that are popular in the West. Like, you're going to just compare us directly mm. to each other. Like, yeah, definitely <laughs> something to poke at there. Um, but he is famous for... Um, his work's often described as being post postmodernism. Um, when I read that, I was like, hmm, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> um, know what that means. <laughs> and basically, postmodernism um, was this idea founded in the mid 20th century um, that basically rejects the idea that there's this one objective, unquestionable truth, um, and instead sort of explores the idea of maybe that there is a plurality of truths, that our own experience of reality is just as valid as someone else's, Mm. um, and starts getting us into, you know, this idea of like, I don't know, for me, it kind of connects to, to like this idea of multiple universes and multiple ways of viewing the same situation and how our perception can color so much of our understanding of reality. Um, so post postmodernism is reacting to that and saying, Hey, like, like maybe both can be true. Maybe there is a shared collective objective truth and maybe too, there's room to have our own individual experience, create our own version of reality. Um, it's, it's holding space for both and um, having an expansive view of even what reality is and even like what really matters when we're talking about reality. Like do things have to happen in a scientifically provable way in order for the emotion to be felt in order for the truth to become apparent. Um, I think that this game absolutely explores those things. Um, Mm -hmm. The way it has you questioning what is real from like the first hour 
um, and maybe even having to let go of knowing the answer to that to fully enjoy and embrace the game um, is like a very big theme. And the fact that it manages to to package all of this in a charming, pixelated, side-scrolling adventure is like nothing to scoff at. I mean, this is a seven-person <laughs> team who's made something that is like touching on universal collective unconscious crap. So like, hey, <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really really powerful stuff um and i think I, i'm i'm personally a big sucker for these kinds of i don't even know if you would call it a trope or a narrative device but i mean like i think of films like inception or uh the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm. uh are some of my favorites and i i love uh media that attempts to depict the concept of perception or like what happens in our minds as we commit things to memory and mm. how we hold uh memory in our minds or how we process like it attempts to depict the like mm, like internal processing of a thing through totally. metaphorical adaptations of what the inside of the human mind might look like yeah. i think is really fucking cool <sighs> <laughs> and this game does that in spades and in layers that again like i don't i don't want to fully get into but uh just like one example from the game there's you know you're on a pretty like straightforward mission as atma to get a cake for raya uh before before you and raya skip school you make this bucket list of things that you want to do before you graduate and you embark on that bucket list together and that's kind of it becomes a through point of the game trying to complete the things on the bucket list and it's like the cutest shit on this bucket list it's like oh we want to pet the fluffiest animal Mm -hmm. we want to eat an entire cake we want chocolate like a specific chocolate cake from this bakery that raya likes like we want to go see a music and cry (laughs) yeah oh i love that one too that was such a like oh my god high school and early college me just wanted to listen to music and cry sometimes that's just what you want to (laughs) do uh so that really resonated but so i was trying to get this cake for raya and he goes to the bakery and the uh primary baker that works at this bakery has just quit her job because she's in a crisis, like a career crisis and thinks that she wants to diverge and go make uh, different types of food and not be a baker anymore. And so of course, Atma uses his space diving ability to jump into her mind and try to help resolve this internal conflict that she has. And then the way they depict that internal conflict is that inside of the baker's mind, there is a game like a cooking game show happening where the multiple copies of the baker the baker is both the judge and uh (laughs) the contestants and each of the contestants is trying to bake different types of food or cook different types of food and they've all taken tools away from the the baker version so there's like four contestants and three of them have all stolen things that the the baker version of the contestant would need Mm -hmm. um and they're each trying to make their own types of food and so you have to find ways to sabotage each of the other contestants um, so that they will return the equipment that they took from the baker and she will win. But the main, the baker, the cook, she is the, all of them (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the judge. And uh, the way that's presented is like her own conflict of how she, she can't decide what she wants to pursue and she's pulling her own resources from herself in the process of trying to pursue all of these things at the same time, just the visualization of that. That's just like one example of the way the game um, both presents you with an interesting puzzle to resolve. And now I have to leave the space dive, go into the world, find the thing, 
things that are going to help me sabotage the other bakers. But also even just that depiction of that, how that internal conflict plays out and then setting it like this game show setting is it. Yeah, it's just an isolated example of how, yeah. how the game presents that that I, that I think is so cool. That was, uh, yeah, that was very cool. And, and that specific interaction stuck out to me too, because like this baker was very good at pastry and, and making cakes. Um, and she had this like burgeoning desire to make other types of food, to make mm -hmm. traditional Chinese like street food dishes um, and serve them to the public, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there was this idea of like, well, I don't know how successful I'm going to be at doing this. Like there's this, um, you get the sense that maybe people in her life haven't really been super supportive of that pursuit um, because she's always just been so good at baking. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess I that stuck out to me because I feel like um, with games in this genre where like, I felt like I knew what I was getting. This is like part of what made this game so interesting and, and so awesome to play was like, you're used to in a game setting, especially an adventure game coming of age like this. Like I'm thinking of like the Pokemons of the world where um, it felt very similar to that, like uh, uh, like a, a game for children <laughs> or, or high schoolers where there's a very clear sense of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you as Atma are set up to feel very confident that you are actually helping this person by, mm, by mm -hmm. making her focus in on what she does best. Like, isn't that what we should be doing? Like by taking away these doubts and fears and helping her focus on doing what she does best, isn't that heroic? Um, but as you see the consequence of that, it really makes you question like, am I heroic or mm -hmm. am I just making it simpler for me to mm -hmm. understand like like is it is it really helping someone to eliminate all risk from their lives or is that just going to make them more depressed and upset in the future like mm -hmm. it really makes you think about what happens after the hero saves the day um and did they really save the day by doing what made the most sense to them like i've never really <laughs> had a game like this make me question so much like what comes after yeah yeah it's a it's a that caught that tension that the game builds i think really slowly i think the that section where you're space diving the baker is one of the first times where after you finish it i think even atma within the context of the game kind of questions like he's like oh i helped her right like i definitely helped her yeah uh, that's what she wanted to be doing right um and it's the first time i think you're that the space diving has been used and you start to be like, oh, maybe that wasn't like a good thing to do. Maybe I didn't actually help that person. Maybe I'm just uh, oversimplifying the situation for them. And it's not actually, you know, maybe by enforcing my, <laughs> my will basically mm -hmm. on people and like, like maybe this is like a more selfish activity than I thought it was because I really just did it to get a cake for my girlfriend. And uh, maybe that wasn't what was best mm. for the for the baker. Mm -hmm. Um, so these uh the space dives, you know, and and Atma starting to question, like Atma keeps using the space dives, but and and continues to question them as the game proceeds. But those do become one of, I mean, that is like the key mechanic or like key way that uh 
you're engaging with other characters in the game. Mm. Uh, we haven't talked a lot a bit about how the game actually controls. So this is, uh, you know, I think we mentioned earlier, 2D side-scrolling, pixel art, uh, adventure game. Um, adventure games being, you know, kind of a tenant of those being that you're moving through a space uh, you can have simple dialogue with other characters and you can pick up objects and then use those objects to resolve puzzles. Um, I think by and large adventure games tend to be a little bit frustrating to me sometimes. Cause I think the puzzles can be a little obtuse. Mm. Um, just things of like, Oh really? Like I had to put the duct tape on the table first before I could <laughs> right. use it on the telephone. Like that kind of stuff uh, sometimes can be really annoying. I do think this. I think this game, by and large, at least from my perspective, avoided a lot of the more frequent frustration points that mm. I've had with adventure games like that. I found the puzzles to be fairly straightforward, and I felt like for the most part, as long as you were thoroughly exploring. Uh, the world mm -hmm. when you got the opportunity to and that you were interacting with everyone. Usually once the the puzzle would present itself, I would have a decent idea of what the solution would probably be. And that was usually what it was. You know, it's like yeah, taking that cooking situation that we're talking about, you know, one of the you, you when you're trying to figure out how to sabotage the different things one of the people is like oh this food is no good if it's too spicy and i had talked to a street vendor earlier in the day who was like my my sauce is so spicy so i'm like <laughs> okay well i just gotta go back to that guy and get some spicy sauce and yeah. then i can mess up this person you know i can sabotage this person's food so as long as you were doing that exploration i think it was pretty transparent like what the solutions to the the puzzles were going to be. And I appreciated that. Um, but the way they even set up the different puzzles, there's a lot of inspirations this game takes. And, and um, I think homage that it pays to other games, to other media. You know, we kind of already talked about the, the anime pilgrimage and, and how, how inspired this game definitely feels uh, how much inspiration this game takes from anime mm -hmm. uh, generally, but specifically the ones that you were mentioning, but also there's things in this game, like uh, the combat is definitely referencing street fighter. Mm -hmm. Like there's little mini games where you have to move the D pad buttons uh, in certain directions to complete a little QTE event. And that's how you engage in combat. Um, there's a whole section of the game. That's very Ace Attorney uh, ish where you're like in a, objection. You to, yeah, you have to go objection and, uh, it's, it happens within a space dive, but you have to find evidence in the real world that you bring into the space dive and present. Um, were there other ones? Um, with the cooking, um, I don't know. I guess maybe I just, I guess in general, it felt like in the same way that the setting was like in the 90s and had some of the aesthetic. Uh, of that time it also felt like it was paying homage to games that 90s kids grew up playing mm. um like i was thinking uh, cooking mama keeps standing out in my head <laughs> but really the the tie-in there was like people listing ingredients and you having to remember the order it was mm. said and which and being given multiple options and it was like did the person say they wanted fried rice with a sunny side up egg or did they say they wanted fried rice with vegetables and like having to pick the right one like mm -hmm. all of that really harkens back to very core memories I have of like the games I played as a kid um, and the kind of like simple to complex interactions there that all felt very nostalgic when it worked together. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the the world in the game, I mean, we were touching on this a little bit before, but I just really want to drive down the point that like it is so well realized and that that level of detail that they brought in from how much the developers were pulling on things from their real life really carries through. I mean, the the characters in the town and the town itself just feels very real um, while being simple. I mean, again, this mm-hmm. is a, it's a pixel art game, but it's, it's beautifully designed the, and there's a, I don't know. It's, it's kind of sits in between being incredibly detailed and like still mm, soft or like simplified. The, what I thought was particularly interesting was the design of the characters. I think a lot of times when you mm-hmm. play a pixel art game, uh, the characters can are more like chibi sprites, so, you know. Yeah. They'll they'll be very cute. They won't look have very like human proportions, and um, the way they w- move through the world will be like more like they're sliding across the screen as opposed to like actually walking or like doing human movements. And they took a direction with their pixel art that was made the the human characters feel way more human. They are properly proportioned. They take up a lot more space on the screen than a lot of times characters will do in a pixel yeah. art game. They move like real people. I mean, it's all with like a very simple animation, but like their feet and legs will actually move. Their arms will shift as they're walking. Um, even when they're standing still, they'll be moving a little bit like they're breathing up and down. And that's that's pretty unique. I don't think a lot of pixel art games go to that level of detail, and it was really affecting and gave the game a really, uh, yeah, really beautiful art style and like very compelling art style. It made the characters feel and the world feel very lived in and real. Absolutely, I completely agree. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I remembered um, Dimas Novan, the director. He also has said that he specifically wanted to, and the words he used was create a style that he called simple realism. Um, Mm. Like it was very intentional that um, he wanted it to feel, you know, like pixel art and have that kind of almost cartoonish vibe but at the same time like you'll notice that the backgrounds um are incredibly detailed um the character motions and and bodies um like as jamie was saying was that we're like super um specific and and not chibi-fied um and he said he drew a lot of inspiration from a pixel artist named toyo yuda um who specializes in drawing like mundane rural or or town scenes that are incredibly detailed um, because he wanted people to, to look at it um, and, and know like, Oh, that's a real place and I can go there. Um, And I just, I'm really stuck on that because I just think that's so fascinating of like using pixels to really try to preserve a very real place and time and do it in a way where um, it's right on the line of like not being like photorealistic, but detailed enough that like you can see the flourish on a metal fence or grate and know that it's a house on a street that you could visit and walk by. And it's not, it's not suggesting anything in the background. It's Mm. actually placing it there. There's layers of perspective. Like you don't just see shadows of buildings in the background. You actually see these buildings and, and trees and nature like disappearing into the background as far as your eye can see on the horizon. Like this is a real place. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really important. Uh, 
for for what the gameplay is because so much of this game is uh, reliant on you as the player exploring the town and talking to people to resolve the puzzles that are being presented to you. And if you're not enticed to go around and explore, you're going to have a much harder time solving the puzzles uh, because you're not going to know what the potential solutions are. So I think that was really smart and it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just super affecting and makes the game really beautiful to look at, beautiful and interesting to look at. And I think it also helped create a clear division between what was the real world of the town versus when you're going into the space dives and it's much uh you know this the scenery is all kind of got this black background around it um and really creates like the visually distinct areas to separate the surreal Mm. or the the perception based world versus the reality of the town (laughs) Mm um yeah yeah very cool um I think if I do have any critiques about the game, it would probably be around the combat that I mentioned before. Um, I personally enjoyed, there is a decent amount of combat in the game. It's all pretty much fist fighting or uh, dodging Mm -hmm. as Atma. Uh, I do like how they introduce the combat. The fact that you learn it from the arcade. <laughs> like you yeah. literally go to the arcade to play video <laughs> games and you're playing a game that's like absolutely meant to like be uh, a stand-in for Street Fighter and you if you you play the game a bunch and get really good at it and then there's this like older guy who's hanging out there at the arcade and uh he's he's learned how to fight from video games and yeah. so he teaches <laughs> you how to fight and then you can go fight your way around some school bullies. I thought that was really funny and clever. Um, and the actual mechanic of doing the fighting, I found engaging. Um, I do think that it could benefit from some accessibility settings uh, to yeah. make the QTE timing more generous yeah. or simplify it. Totally. I, there were points where it was a bit challenging for me. It was never more than a passing frustration point, and I was able to quickly get around that. But I could see someone who is uh, just less able to put in those QTE commands with that level of speed, uh, that being a game-breaking thing for them that ends the game. If they Mm -hmm. can't get past certain points where you have to be able to do that, I do think it would benefit from an accessibility setting there. Um, But more my issue with the combat was just that Atma didn't feel like a character who would have been going around getting in (laughs) fights. And, And it's like... There's a good reason why he's getting in these fights. There's particularly, you know, initially a group of bullies um, that's really hassling you Mm -hmm. um, that you have to pick fights with to get past certain sections of the game. And so it it makes some sense narratively, but it just didn't feel like Atma as a person would have resulted to violence um, and that there would have he would have found another way around that. So it felt like a bit video gamey to put that in. I think it ultimately, they ultimately make it work based on where everything goes in the game and what mm-hmm. you learn about the world. Um, but in the, in the moment, it was kind of the one thing, uh, or even looking back, it's kind of the one thing that I'm like, eh, maybe the game would have been better served without this. Yeah. Cause like sometimes you will fight people and they'll literally be like, I'm sorry. And like collapse. And I'm like, oh my God, did we just kill this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like just the idea that Atma's like this fucking like combat god. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, it's a little funny. It's a yeah. little silly. Yeah. But honestly, that's say, really the only complaint I had. 
Yeah, like, I also have, like, one complaint, and, I mean, I totally agree with you on the timing of things, like, uh, in order to, you know, you've got this bucket list, and one of your bucket list items is get the new high score on the fighting game in the arcade. Oh, my God, the hours I spent. (laughs) Yeah, that was a sweaty Friday night for me. Good Lord. Um, So, like, there's that. I would say, for me, um, so this is a side-scrolling game. Um, that being said, there's a very, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess people have varying levels of how they would define very complex. But for me, there was still a quite a complex map um, mm, to traverse mm-hmm. the town and school and various buildings in the game. Um, and at least for me, I found that the way that the side scrolling scenes, like, you know, it's like you enter a space, you go all the way to the end, there's an exit and you're in another section of the map. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't always, or it didn't at all seem to translate one-to-one to the, to the overview view of the map. Um, mm. Like a, like the map might show um, a horizontal road and then it hitting a vertical road and so i would assume like okay if i keep going to the right of the screen i'll just keep going down this road but i would find that like if i exited one screen and i opened the map again i would be like in the top right hand corner of the map now Mm. and so i just found for me like already being bad at using maps that (laughs) i could not really depend on the map at all and just had to kind of focus on using landmarks which work great because like we said the yeah. <laughs> the art is very detailed and so that worked for me um but if you're someone who needs the kind of orientation of a map i did find that looking at the map often just confused me further yeah yeah that's true i didn't i didn't mess too much with the map for the same reason so i definitely think that's that's fair um i do think though that uh this game hit the perfect Uh, like the sweet spot for me in terms of building a world that's big enough and interesting enough to want to explore, but not too big to be overwhelming. Yeah. Like it's a really fine line for me. I've talked about this before when it comes to exploration in games, like I can very easily, like if I don't feel like I can see it all with rel without like wasting time, then I, it, it just like approaches this point of drop off where it's like, oh, this is too overwhelming. Like there's too much here. I'm not going to be able to see it all. It's too overwhelming to try to see it all. And so now I'm no longer interested in exploring. And this game like really came up to a fine line of like the town was big enough and dense enough that it felt like there was lots to see and lots to do. And I always felt like I was rewarded for exploring it, but it felt manageable. Mm. Like it had had limits on it in terms of where I could go and what I could do. Um, and so that, I think that just made for, for me anyway, that made me want to explore all the more, but totally. the map definitely didn't help with that. I, I eventually like knew the town by sight as yeah. opposed to using that map to get around. Yeah. Do we want to go into some spoilers for a little bit? Yeah. Let's, let's spoil it up. <laughs> um, I think I'll, we'll mark in the time codes on the episode where we're coming in and out of spoilers. I do think that if you have any intention of playing this game, that you should go play it and not listen to our spoiler conversation, because I think this, you know, we both played this game without knowing uh, where it was going. And I think that's important. Uh, So we're going to go into spoilers now, check the time codes for where we come out of spoilers and pick us back up on the other side. If you haven't played the game yet and you're going to play it. Um, (laughs) But there are a few things that I think we want to talk about with some of 
of the themes that the game deals with um, that we can't really dig into too much without without uh, touching on some spoilers. So officially saying now, right now, some spoilers for... <laughs> Wait, why did I forget the name of the game? For A Space for the Unbound. <laughs> uh damn that ending <laughs> rebecca oh valentine God. was not kidding i was definitely i i was crying for pretty much like the final hour or so of the game yeah um it really like i i felt like it was building up towards something and i thought i knew what that something was and then it sort of completely caught me off guard so yes i completely agree <laughs> Yeah. So if you are someone who's listening to this and you don't intend to play the game, I think to just uh, succinctly say that what the game eventually builds to you is you eventually learn that the entire game is actually taking place inside of Raya's mind, um, that she has attempted to kill herself and is in a coma, essentially. Um, And it's her kind of trying to, like, in this world, she is able to control everything. Um, through the superpowers that we mentioned before. And she has been using those superpowers to essentially like try to make her life perfect, quote unquote, Mm. and remove all of the challenging aspects of things. Um, And Atma is actually a young man that she knew as a child, or I guess it's kind of, it's unclear whether he was an imaginary friend or a real person Mm. that she knew um, that she has like remanifested in her, uh, in the mental world that she's built um, to be her boyfriend. Um, But he doesn't fully succumb to like the magic that she holds over everything else in in the land. He has some autonomy. Um, And so he is actively like kind of working against her and trying to help her realize what she's doing to herself and the fact that it's not actually helping her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the game kind of culminates in this, uh, kind of a standoff between Atma and, and Raya that <laughs> is presented as a bit of a boss fight. That's <laughs> a, another like aspect of the uh, combat that doesn't, I, I don't know if it fully works. Like I don't sure. hate it, but yeah. it's a little bit it's a little silly. silly. <laughs> uh, and ultimately gets her to uh, confront the fact that she can't exist forever in this space that she's built for herself. And then they go through a really emotional kind of uh, scene where she confronts her abusive father. Um, She kind of confronts, there's multiple friend characters in the game that she's had, she's either felt abandoned by or who have hurt her in different ways that she needs to try to reconcile herself with like less, some of them it's reconciling the friendship and some of it's, uh, processing her own emotions about what's happened in that relationship. But she goes through all of that with kind of Atma at her side and um, kind of, he's essentially like not helping her recover from the depression, but helping her uh, shift her thinking around it and decide that she in fact does want to live. Yeah. And I think on top of that too, like, like you mentioned um, helping her realize that she can't, keep doing this to herself. I think part of that is helping her realize that she can't run away from the pieces of herself inside that are hurt. Like, I I think Mm. it really touches on this very real thing of like, there is no outrunning your trauma sooner or later. 
you're going to have to confront it and you're going to have to process it and you're going to have to make peace with it. You're going to have to forgive at least yourself um, and, you know, like be there for yourself in the ways that people like parents, people like friends may not have been able to be for you. And I think um, in addition to helping her realize she wants to live, I think he also helps her realize that she needs to um, honor all parts of herself, not just the parts that feel strong, not just the parts Mm -hmm. that have grown up and moved out of reach of the people who hurt her in the past, because that hurt child is still inside of her and, and needs her. And she needs, she needs that part of herself as well um, Mm -hmm. to be fully whole. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a beautiful reconciliation between Raya and her inner child, which is visualized as Nirmala, the character that we met in the very opening scene of the game and that continues, who continues to have scenes and like a presence throughout the game. And, uh, you come to understand that Nirmala is essentially like, yeah, it's the inner child that Raya had kind of cut herself off from. And kind of the cl- climax of the game is the two of them hugging each other and Nirmala kind of being like reabsorbed uh, to being a part of Raya as she like re-embraces this, the hopeful side of herself and, and childlike side of herself and uh realizes that yeah that she doesn't just have to be all all hard edges um that that it's okay to like be hopeful again absolutely like that was (laughs) wild to me because um like in cognitive behavioral therapy which in which i am practicing because i have my own trauma um that i'm working to heal um, some of the exercises that my therapist puts me through involve literally closing my eyes and visioning my younger self that has been hurt or that is, you know, call in pain, uh, needing, you know, a parent, needing care, needing whatever that I have been neglecting my whole life or ignoring because I don't want to feel the pain. Um, But literally sitting there, closing my eyes, envisioning that child, envisioning myself as an adult, actually embracing that part of myself and telling myself, I'm here now, I'm with you, like, I love you. Um, Like, like, a big part of my healing has actually been around literally doing just that and envisioning, Mm -hmm. embracing my inner child and telling them, that I'm there and that it's okay to feel what they feel. Um, So it was incredibly powerful to see through a curtain of tears um, that very thing (laughs) unfolding on the screen um, because it's real. I think anyone who's done the work of processing trauma, um, especially um, childhood trauma, um, that scene probably resonates very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even for, for folks who maybe don't have such a, a specific touch point to it, I think yeah. it's there is still a in our society a like part of growing up means closing yourself off to what's perceived mm. as the more childish and emotional side of yourself, mm. right? And so I think like 
there's plenty in this game. I mean, like, yeah, Raya dealing with a uh, physically and emotionally abusive father, a kind of absent mother figure. Um, there's a lot in her life that's maybe not relatable for everyone. But even just that core piece of, like, thinking that growing up means... Um, not just thinking it, being conditioned to believe mm. by society that growing up means becoming less optimistic, like not wearing your heart on your sleeve, closing yourself off uh, to being like a connected, empathetic and emotional person. Like that's a very real thing that happens as yeah. we grow up. And so like re-embracing that child aspect of yourself and accepting it and not blaming yourself for having emotions, uh, specifically as the as Nirmala and Raya hug and reconnect with each other in the game, Nirmala says to Raya, it's good to feel things deeply sometimes. It means you're alive. And while you're alive, there's still time to find happiness. Mm. Um, it's a really powerful line that I think is true for it's, yeah, it's touching on something key to humanity Absolutely. and like what it means to be human. So just on this, a similar note, I had, taken some screenshots during the inner child reconciliation sequence because it was so <laughs> emotionally affecting for me. And um, at one point, um, Raya says to Nirmala, her younger self, um, I should never have left. It took a lot of time and pain for me to learn how much I needed you. Oof. And Nirmala responds, you know, like, there's no need to be sorry. I didn't have your toughness, your ability to survive and endure, even in harsh conditions. Um, I'm getting a little misty just <laughs> repeating that because I think that, at least for me, feels very true to even how I perceive of like the separation between my adult and younger selves. Like so much of my adult life was lived in survival mode, being as independent as I could, being as un emotionally unavailable as I could be, because that way no one could ever hurt me. And I had all I needed um, with this, you know, quote unquote, tough exterior um, to be able to survive. Um, and it took me so long to realize that like, that child who is yearning for love, who is yearning for security, who has so much, so much love also to give, um, that's just as important to living a full life. Um, and, it, and it's not until they embrace and, and are, are whole once more um, that Raya says, um, I feel like I'm finally really present. Um, mm. She's her full self with all that that includes. Um, and she's mm -hmm. able to fully engage with life. Um, and I, and I just feel like, um, you know, for a lot of people, uh, living with depression and anxiety. Um, and even like you said, for people who are not, but just are grappling with this idea of, um, that's ground into us that like being an adult means X, Y, and Z. Um, we don't have to prescribe to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, at least two more things that I want to touch on while we're in the spoiler section um, that happened at the end of the game. So one kind of intermixed or, or just after the, the boss fight component that happens between Raya and Atma, there's this incredibly moving depiction of we're, we're still within uh, Raya's mind. Um, but there's a extended series of scenes that play out in Raya's home where she is essentially like in her room, in her bed, struggling with depression. And Atma 
continues to visit her in her room uh, or you as Atma do. And there's little puzzles that you kind of resolve to get into her room each time. Um, but once you get in there, the actual conversation that plays out between them, it I thought was one of the most realistic and like best depictions I've seen of both like mm-hmm. of, of like a person who's trying to help someone who is struggling with depression or trying to figure out how to be there for someone who's struggling with depression. Um, and it, what was really striking to me is just that uh, Atma is just, he spent so much of the game trying to help people, trying to fix people really right with the space diving. And it's in these the series of scenes that he begins to understand that you can't fix like this, mm-hmm. not in the way that he's been trying to fix it. And he shifts from trying to fix Raya to simply trying to be there for her and listen to her and to keep showing up. Mm-hmm. And I, that was really powerful to me because I, I just, I don't think we get to see that kind of a depiction of, of what I would say is like the quote unquote right way or like mm-hmm. the better way to try to be there for someone who's, who's struggling with depression. Yeah. Um, he just keeps coming back. And steadily like realizes that he needs to just listen to her and what she needs and and try to provide that and that even just being there is kind of enough when someone's going through something like that that you're not going to say the magic thing that suddenly makes it better or right or quote unquote fixes them Mm. um but you can listen and you can keep showing up yeah i thought was really powerful yeah um, <laughs> and then the other thing that I think the game does really well, it it also has this theme of, um, grieve, like grieving someone. I, I think because mm. the game, what was it you were saying earlier where you're talking about the, the idea that something may or may not be real, but it doesn't matter. Was that the post postmodernism? Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about the post postmodernism, I, I definitely think this game has that because and, and it, that it both comes into play in the fact of like the entire game that we've seen up until like the very final scene of the game is it's all taking place in Raya's mind. Mm. And so therefore it's not quote unquote real, but it's incredibly real to Raya and her processing of her depression and her, her healing process. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's also this question of whether or not Atma is real mm. because when we, see the scenes with Nirmala from early in the game and the scenes that pepper throughout the game. Uh, Atma dies in that very first scene in the prologue. That's before he wakes up in the classroom with Raya and he's having what he believes is a dream of him hanging out with Nirmala. Uh, Nirmala falls in the river and he jumps in the river to save her and he drowns. She lives and he drowns. Um, and the game never quite answers the question, or at least it incites enough doubt as to whether or not Atma was a real person or whether he was uh, like an imaginary friend Yeah, for Raya when she was a young girl. Uh, and it doesn't give us a clear answer on that. Other townsfolk don't seem to know Atma or know that he was there. Yeah, But the game also suggests that he was a runaway who had similarly experienced some level of abuse from his family and that he was just living in this town trying to make ends meet. And he saw something of himself in, in Raya or mm-hmm. Raya slash Nirmala and befriended her and kind of took her under his wing. And that's like, 
very believable that he could be like an unhoused person living on the fringes of society and not have really been noticed by anyone besides this little girl. Mm. But it's also really possible that he was someone that she totally made up in her head. Right. Yeah. Um, And then in addition to that, it's he's, if he was real, he's dead through the entirety of the game. Right. And there's kind of a, there's a scene uh, right before the very final, like, right before we leave the imaginary world where Raya's asking him, like, are you actually Atma or are you my memory of Atma? Mm. And he basically like says, it doesn't matter. Like, right. and, and it's kind of this question of like, is this the spirit of Atma who is like here on this plane mm. with Raya and is talking to her? Or is it just her memory of Atma talking back to her? And the game kind of says it doesn't really matter because he still helped you. And even at the very end of the game, um, if you do all of the things that are in the book, if you do the full bucket list, you get a secret ending uh, where she, where Raya visits uh, the dock that Atma fell off of and drowned, or not fell off of, but where he drowned. Mm-hmm. And she talks with him and has this conversation that really suggests that He's con- he continues to be a part of her. He continues to be someone that she talks to, uh, kind of like someone would talk to themselves, but that uh, she's able to kind of see the world through Atma's eyes and that that is continuing to help her see the positive in things, see the positive in herself and hold space for that. And I thought that was a really, both an interesting like depiction of like grief and how we hold the people that we lose with us. And also just the fact that they introduce this element of like, maybe he was or wasn't real. Like maybe it's, is it her memory of him or is it actually him? And it kind of doesn't matter if it's working for her. Yeah. uh, That I thought was special. No, absolutely. Um, I completely agree. And I think too, that there are lessons to be drawn there in the sense that, um, like when you start the process of trauma healing, something that at first, at least to me, felt very scary and isolating, um, but over time becomes a source of of hope and even joy is this concept that no one can save you. You have to save yourself. Mm. Um no, your parent is never going to change. The The people who hurt you are never going to, and I mean, and depending on the case, I suppose, but they're never going to be able to undo what they did. And it's you who has to heal yourself. It's you who has to be the parent that you never had for yourself. Like you can't depend on validation externally. Um, that's not to say that like friendships aren't important, that mm-hmm. You can't let people in. Like all of that is still true. But at the end of the day, like like you are the one um, responsible for your own healing. Um, and I think at first that I rejected that. It made me feel very lonely. It made me feel like, oh, so like I have no one at the end of the day. And over time, I've come to see that as a source of strength. Like I have the capacity. I have the resilience to save myself. Like isn't that beautiful? Um, and I think with this story, if Atma isn't real, then he's the piece of her that is the innate resilience that enables her to keep going. Like, I think mm-hmm. that that's just as real um, as if he was a real person. Mm-hmm. 
Ja. Ja. Det er a really beautiful game. I think uh I think we can back out of spoilers now. Uh, so back from spoilers, I think we can start wrapping up our conversation on this game. But I think, uh, I think I know where you stand on this, Spencer. But should people play a space for the unbound? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone should play this game. Um, I Jamie said it was a ten-hour game. I spent about twenty-two hours playing it, but it's probably <laughs> because I'm bad at math and puzzles. <laughs> yeah, I, it is. So it was surprising to me. They do expect you to like solve an algebra equation for one of the puzzles. <laughs> simple, simple, but yeah, it's taking me back to like seventh grade school. math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I absolutely love this game. Like I said before we started talking, I do think this is going to be one that I continue to think about and yeah. hold close uh, for many years to come. I imagine we'll be talking about it again come the Game of the Year conversation. It is a special game. It's deeply emotional, and it wears its heart on its sleeve um, in a way that I, I think you know some people may not appreciate the earnestness that mm. this game approaches its subject matter with. Um, there is some level of it that does feel like a little bit, I mean, it has a lot of anime tendencies like we talked about. And I do think there's an aspect of that, like kind of earnestness Mm -hmm. in storytelling and in the way characters interact with each other. That feels a bit anime, but I, for me, that just continued to like serve the like really heartfelt story that it was telling. And I think the slowness with which the narrative develops and it reveals the meat of the story and the real themes of the story uh, do it a great service in keeping the everything feel very grounded despite the very surreal elements yeah. of what's going on. Um, it just felt like in the age of like Sifu and some of the stuff coming out around Forspoken, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I really appreciated that I was playing a game by Indonesian developers in a very real Indonesian setting that was very specific to their lived experience while also um, holding a universal appeal and and collective truth that anyone can resonate with. I think that just further goes to show that like, there's no excuse for these studios to just be co-opting and exploiting vaguely, uh, you know, like orientalist tropes and passing it off as cultural representation. Like, mm-hmm. like I really felt refreshed playing um, this game and, and I just, yeah. I- <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you mentioned before it's, it's a very small studio and this is, I believe only their third game. Yeah. And the first game that is this long and that is mm-hmm. like more, com- like introduces more complex mechanics. Like, I hope that this game will continue to be like, I think it's getting a decent amount of attention. I want it to be really successful and I want to see what this developer can continue to do. I actually went back after playing this game and played um, a previous release from this developer called when the past was around, which is pretty much a pretty straightforward puzzle game. It's like less than two hours. Um, I do recommend folks check that one out out as well. Um, But it similarly tells like a really heartfelt story in a very contained way Mm -hmm. that's touching on these like, yeah, deeply human sensibilities and, and kind of like darker themes 
in a way that feels really authentic and not just kind of mining trauma for mm. drama's sake. Like actually trying to depict not just the trauma, but the healing process of coming through it. Um, which I, I think is, I think is a little unique. I think we've become very like trauma obsessed in media. Like every, the even the word trauma, I think it's thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of appetite for people exploring their traumas and kind of putting those on display, but not as much time and attention spent actually like talking about how you heal through that or or like really trying to depict what that healing process might look like. Totally. And I think that's something that, that this game and that this developer is, is trying to do. Um, And I think, I think that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to close us out with a a quote from the gamer um, Lex Luddy. Uh, wrote in their in their game review about this the way that a space for the unbound depicts a trauma and some of these darker themes um and they wrote lex writes unlike some other video games using trauma for controversy and excitement a space for the unbound gives them the weight they deserve slowly building through dialogue different characters anxieties neuroses and personal issues it paints characters trying to enjoy idyllic life while dealing with their own personal demons expertly. For the most part, it's a nuanced and deeply personal portrayal of flawed characters fighting to function when they clearly need help. But the game goes to great lengths to remind you that while everyone is worth saving, some people simply don't want help. Trauma is very strange. We share it across our lives, but it's always wholly individual in nature. It's hard to write a story about it because anyone who has gone through something traumatic has their own story to tell. However, something universal about the worst parts of our lives is how they can make us feel. A Space for the Unbound is a game about those universal feelings in the most unrelatable of circumstances across multiple universes. Yeah, so go play A Space for the Unbound. Uh, prepare yourself to cry a bit there at the end, yeah. but <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth the tears. Mm-hmm. I promise. Uh, time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy, but thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, we didn't touch on this as much, but um, A Space for the Unbound has many, many cats throughout the many game. Many cats. So many Stray cats. cats that you get to name. Oh my God. Yeah, we didn't touch on that no, at all. <laughs> them, name them. Um, they are your friends and allies. Um, and so I thought, what better <laughs> side quest than Let's Adopt Indonesia, um, one of the biggest um, shelters and educational resources for um, unhoused animals in Indonesia. Um, they offer education um, efforts as well as um, partnerships with other organizations. They also post a lot of really informative um, information on their social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Um, they also do trap, neuter, release, um, understanding that there are many, many uh, feral cat colonies who maybe don't want a human home or um, just work better, less stressed um, in the homes that they are used to. Um, 
being outdoor, um, but uh, applying a trap neuter release practice or trap fix release um, in order to enable them to live long, happy lives without um, creating more more cats <laughs> uh, <laughs> who are on the street. So to learn more um, and to donate, um, you can visit Let's Adopt Indonesia on Instagram and Facebook, um, and they have a PayPal link where you can donate to them directly, and that's paypal.me slash Let's Adopt Indonesia. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.